You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal some entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Dynamic Manufacturing. Since 1955, Dynamic Manufacturing has a relentless commitment to quality and customer service when it comes to your automotive needs. They've been named General Motors Supplier of the Year 22 times. And whether it's remanufacturing, machining, electrification, motorsports, and much more, there's nothing Dynamic Manufacturing can't do. Find them on the web at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. And by Raul Jewelers, who offer the finest in rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and much more since 1982. They specialize in custom design, so if you're looking for that right gift, especially during the holidays, head to Raul Jewelers on Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates. And they're on the web at rawljewelers.com. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats. Look for them at polinamarket.com and by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago. Chicago's hot dogs are a landmark institution since 1893. They're located at ViennaBeef.com. This week we feature part two with longtime sports radio host Dan McNeil. That's that's physiological. That's brain chemistry. That's not imagined. And fortunately, people have become smarter to what mental illness is. And the fact is, I have a brain chemistry deficiency. Fortunately, I finally started treating it about 20 years ago. But I inherited this from my mother, along with my, you know, uh, predisposed 
condition to be an addict. There is so much to digest in part two, from McNeil's personal issues to his relationship with Chet Kopic and dealing with a son who has autism. You are a radio guy, witness the many sound bites you concocted and right from the get-go, and then there are some priceless parodies. So tell me a story I don't know, why these were so valuable to your broadcast and why you did them. You know, I, I always loved when Steve Dahl did them when I was in high school and I was a fan of the Dahl and Meyer show. And I always had a fondness and also, a, you know, a pretty good ear for what would parody and what would be within my range uh, to sing. And I talked to Steve about it when I when I worked at The Loop. And I said, when did you make the decision to decide to sing yourself or hire a professional? Like you'll hear on a lot of morning zoos around the country and a lot of other guys, they don't want to put their own voice on because they know they're not professional singers. And Dahl said, those people listen to me, Mac, to hear me. They don't listen to, to Steve and Gary to hear some guy who can sing better in a studio. If your listeners are invested in you, they will accept your shortcomings as a vocalist. And I would do them on the Copic show on the loop in bursts on the air ad-libbing when Chet would allow me to play with him in the last half an hour or hour of the program, but I never would produce the songs. When we got to the score in 92, I decided, yeah, we're going into the metal shop and we are going to do, we're going to pull out the lyrics, strip it down. It was before it was so easily done by karaoke. Uh, everything's available without lyric now. But we used to have to actually suck the vocal electronically out of the actual initial song many times. And that was hard. And uh, uh, Huey Lewis in the news, uh, instead of it's hip to be square, he was hip to be share. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> you know, when, uh, when Chet left for New York after Terry and I gave him a, a thorough beating in the ratings, we wrote Chet to Jet by McCartney and Wings. It's just something I always love doing. And when in short bursts, I think it's got a real high appeal rate. Now there are, there are probably just as many who, who don't like it in long form as those who do. And if it's two minutes, which it usually never exceeds, that's fine. But I think if, you know, if, if I were to, if I were to sit down and and go through in my head all it. I, I could probably fill a double record with greatest hits. Uh, Eric Kramer to Operator by Jim Croce. And, <laughs> you know, in this century, Matt Spiegel and I covering the Kinks Lola to Hosa the year he arrived. Oh, that's a classic. He walked up to Dale with his shoulder a mess. He said, I'll work hard and by December I will dress. My name is Hosa. H-O-S-S-A, Hosa, ho, 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 Hosa. It was, yeah, it's, it's, it's not all bad. It's just, I, I think, you know, it keeps it lighter. I think it, it, it kept it fun. It was something that I spent a lot of time working on for very little of actual on-air content. But if we can put ourselves in our audience's head when they're not spending time with us, that's a good thing. Because whenever they would hear those songs, listening to music on their own time, they invariably flash to us. 
And that's a good thing. When you can create your own language with an audience and when they're watching a game and they see something that reminds them of your show, in my case, maybe the praying hands over the head, the safety, the greatest mechanic in a sports officiating history. Uh, they hear the safety dance in their head. And they, they hear me extolling the virtues of two points on NFL Sunday. It's interesting to note, Dan, that uh, you mentioned Matt Spiegel. He kind of picked up your mantle because, and he's, of course, a musician by trade, that really they're, you guys are set apart in this industry. He's, he's kind of taken it now to another level. Yeah, he's uh, well, and he's he's the guy who also has the skill for writing it and can sing it because, as you know, he's a professional singer. He can pull that off. Um, and I think he and I found a pretty good balance of of a professional voice and the goofball when I would jump in on a chorus with a line by myself or some in Hosa, for example. And he is oh, I say it in Bob Pulford voice. Um that, that was that was special and, and man i think of our first fall together and it was a, it was a really solid ratings book we drummed sylvie and waddle in the ass that first book we were together their second book in the fall of zero nine and the hawks were taken off and the bears were in free fall Erlacher got hurt opening night in green bay and spiegel and i wrote songs about the blackhawks and the bears all fall and, uh, and absolutely deserved that nice bonus check we got. Duncan Keith and he's got no teeth. Duncan Keith and he's got no teeth. Three on twos, poke checks, penalty kills. Duncan Keith. You mentioned uh, Chet Kopic, the late Chet Kopic, a little while ago. He had a profound effect on many of us in this industry. And you are no exception. So tell me a story or two I don't know about the influence this legendary sportscaster had on you. Chet scraped me off the street in 1988 when um, I was I was really in a bad place. I had no money. I, I was juggling four or five part-time jobs just to put food in my mouth and pay the rent. And uh, I, had, I had known him for a couple of years through my internship with Swirsky at WGN and my 18 months as a writer at the Hammond Times, which fired me in July of 87. Chet hires me in January of 88. It, it saved my professional life. He, he gave me not only the opportunity to serve as his executive producer based on a hunch, because we'd not worked a day together. He gave me chances to be on the air. Um, and I had no business being on the air in that era. Chet was, was an amazing man. He was, he was P.T. Barnum. You got it, pal. Coming to you with 50,000 watts of AM power. This is your locker room ticket. The ticket is punched. You're in the house. We're going big time. This is absolutely Copic on sports on the Windy City's premier station, the station that brings you Dahl, brings you Meyer, brings you Cochran, brings you the buzzer, brings you Johnny B, brings you... Kevin Matthews. He was both Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I wish he could have found more joy in his life later. Uh, he died a couple of years ago, but uh, in some ways, Chet's been gone for a lot longer than that because he was a guy who needed the stage. He lived for attention and he never quite got his head around the idea that it was over. And it was over a long time before he passed. And uh, I think the Blackhawks did him right to let him 
remain a part of something as a historian for their team, which he had no interest in when he and I worked together, ironically. Um, but uh, I wish he could have been happier. I never saw him take a drink in his life. He told me when we started, he had problems with it as a younger man and never touched it. But some of his behaviors in, um, in the mental health and recovery fields, they call it being a dry drunk. He still seemed like he was so bitter and so unpredictable. Um, it was tough. And as so many of us in radio have experienced with Chet, he can turn on you at, at the drop of a hat and inexplicably turn on mm -hmm. you. Yeah. You can talk with him on the phone and, and giggle for, for 20 minutes. And three months later, somebody tells you, hey, I saw Copic barbecuing you on Facebook or on Twitter. And it didn't make any sense. But, uh, you know, I, I'm glad we had a positive visit not long before he passed away because that's how it should have ended because we both had a lot of respect for each other despite the bumps. Who doesn't love jewelry? Who wouldn't love Rawl Jewelers? Family owned and operated for nearly 40 years, Rawl Jewelers offers the very best in fine jewelry and engagement rings, including mined and lab-grown diamonds. And they utilize the latest technology and offer jewelry repair on the premises. Rawl Jewelers has a glittering array of rings, necklaces, earrings, bracelets, and watches, and offers custom-designed jewelry on the premises. And if you have the most specific questions, Rawl Jewelers has four graduate gemologists on staff. With over 200 years of combined experience and expertise, it's no wonder Rawl Jewelers is one of the leading shops of its kind. This is where my wife and I got our wedding bands many years ago, and it's safe to say, when you walk in as a customer, you're gonna leave as a friend. Rawl Jewelers is located at 3001 Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates, right off I-90 West. Rawl Jewelers, when only the very best will do. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We return with Dan McNeil on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. You know, we were talking about the years that you were at the score and you had some wonderful moments and tough ones, as you mentioned, when you were split from Terry Bores and you were paired with Dan Jiggetts. And that eventually led to your departure. So you resurface at the competing station, WNVP, and to say you had a successful yet bumpy road there would be an understatement. Tell me a story I don't know about those days. The ESPN management team had a consultant named Rick Scott on retainer and Rick was a wonderful guy. I liked Rick. We visited his home in Seattle in the spring of zero one when Mitch Rosen and Bob Snyder, our general manager, let us go to Seattle for the all-star game and broadcast for several days. I liked Rick. I respected him. And I, I, I still do. It was his opinion. However, after a year and a half, Bob Snyder should blow up Mac Yurko and Harry. And many general managers would have done what they pay their consultant, you know, to tell them to do. And they would have popped us. 
So Matt Kirko and Harry could have blown up 18 months in if the consultant would have had his recommendation followed. And Bob Snyder stayed the course. Bob was never around to reap any of the benefits. He was never there to pluck the grapes from the vine like we were several years later because it took three or four years to get that puppy rolling. We were restarting a radio station. I mean, that radio station was a rumor when we got to it and it was billing only four or $5 million a year in the spring of zero one fast forward to the spring of zero five after a number one finish by Mac Yurko and Harry we're billing 25 million and um, and we deserved those spoils no one gave them to us those those ratings we earned them and it was a great crew and it was a great time in my life because we kicked a lot of tail and money was raining down but it almost ended after 18 months Yet, there was a lot of tension there, particularly with you and Harry Tynowitz. This was a daily soap opera that didn't end very well. You, uh, you picked the right two words, soap opera. That's what sports radio should be when it's at its best. It's, sports, it's soap opera for sports fans. It's soap opera for men, as my wife called it. And none of that was, was manufactured. And it was pretty easy to, to, to have those fights because both Harry Tynowitz and I were in the clutches of alcoholism and addiction. We were irritable guys and we had different ideas as to what worked. But I think even during a lot of that, we tried, we, we did a good job of keeping it on a professional level. Our criticisms of each other were were mostly professional. There were times when there were departures, but but we didn't take it out on each other. I mean, to some degree, we fought like brothers. When we'd go on the road, uh, everybody assumed I'd find Yurko, my uh, my stinky fellow Northwest Indiana buddy to run around with. I'd go find Tynowitz and we'd go smoke a joint because even after 9-11, he carried. I stopped carrying on airplanes after 9-11. No, thank you. Had a panic attack in Austin coming back from a Longhorns football game. Never again. And uh, But I could always count on the tiny one. He'd never get caught. And if he did, someone would find a way to get him out. He'd call the mayor of Skokie, right? He can help him out. So he carried and we hung around. But uh, it was volatile, yet it was loving. And... Uh, it ended because I was scheduled to make a lot of money after a housing crisis crash was affecting advertising in 08. And uh, I was battling with Justin Craig, our program director, all too regularly. So the combination of those two things um, led to my dismissal in January of 09, which um, was the um, really, as I've thought about it and as I write about it in my book, the end of when I could ever feel, I mean, deeply, deeply feel about a radio job ever in my life. It was, it was tough enough when the score clipped my nuts in 99 and split up boars in me. When ESPN fired me 10 years later, that was it. That's when I recognized it's never going to be more than a job. And that sucked because I wanted, I treated radio like a child. I know that sounds so corny, but we brought the score into the world. And with that comes an enormous amount of pride. And for them to take those things away without conversations in either case, it just, 
it just leaves me fucking hating that business. And I feel so bad for those who are fighting an even worse climate today. Yet you, you reinvented yourself at the drive, which was a rock station that didn't last very long either. (laughs) (laughs) Always had one foot out the door. 521. I'm Pete McMurray along with Dan McNeil. We are so excited and happy to be here at the drive. Many miles of Radio Road behind us. I think 47 years in Chicago between the two of us. And here we are today at the crown jewel of Chicago radio stations, driving in today, listening to a station that plays Bitch by the Rolling Stones from Sticky Fingers. You know what's funny about that? I could have continued at the drive on the air just doing updates and mornings um but they were taking me off in terms of the the beefy parts of the show whether well the meat uh, the the meat of the show was was the music but when pete mcmurray and i would have you know interactions they took me out of that i i was mad at the program director rob cressman who did not let me do a 90 second goodbye to greg salk who was the director of programming for Hubbard Radio across the country, and the guy who, along with Chet Kopic, had hired me at the Loop in 88, and guy, a guy who remains a friend. Greg brought me to the drive, and when he was fired, I wanted to write a tribute to him. I did write the tribute to him for a segment called The Two-Minute Warning, in which I could do whatever I want, in less than two minutes. In this case, it was to say thank you to a guy whose fingerprints were all over Chicago radio with Stephen Gary, with the AMFM loop, with the birth of the drive. And here he is, he's shown the door and I acted like a goddamn baby when they said I couldn't do it. They wouldn't even look at it. I offered to let Rob and John Gallagher above him, please read this. I printed them my, my editorial and they wouldn't look at it. I said, how can you not like what you don't see? I mean, are you Terry Bores, you're going to write off a movie because Tim Robbins is in it? You know, I don't like his political stances, but that doesn't mean the movie sucks. I mean, read this, please read it. And I had a temper tantrum and I swatted a candy dish off of the reception desk in the, uh, in the lobby. And, um, and it ended because of that. And which is fine because Rob Cressman, I would have wound up throwing Rob Cressman out the window. He is one of those, and this is the only guy I've ever said this about in a managerial position. Most of the guys, you know, everybody but Rob, I think I've respected in my career. They're the ones who keep rehiring me because it's the same faces. It's the Rosens and the Salks and the DeCastros. I got along well with my management teams at the end of the day. Yes, we had bumps, but there was mutual respect for every one of them, except that piece of shit, Rob Cressman at the drive. You mentioned earlier you lost your feel for radio or sports radio, and yet you resurfaced again, this time at the score. Why did you come back? Would you please go away, Damane? (laughs) (laughs) Got to feed the kids, Chicago. Um, I knew it was a farewell tour. I made no bones about that with my partner, Danny Parkins. You speak to a larger percentage of the fan base than I do. 
Like that sensibility of coming by Bears cynicism honestly is like that's how the majority of people feel. Well, the, the majority of us old farts who have seen so much dysfunction in the organization and have been conditioned to having the Lake Foresters rip our hearts out of our chests for yep. decades. Yeah. Uh, his career is just, at the, you know, starting its trajectory to a large degree. This is. This is his first really big job, Afternoons in Chicago, and I'm on a farewell tour. Uh, that wasn't fair to him. I get that. But I did my very best to delude myself that I can do this. Fortunately, Danny and I share a lot of the same radio axioms, and he didn't inundate our audience with NBA stuff that wasn't local. That was a fear of mine going in because he does love the association. I don't. It was a decent balance. He liked basketball. I liked hockey during the winter. We both love gambling on football. We both love smoking weed. There were a lot of upsides to doing it with Danny. So that, that made me think it had a puncher's chance of going four or five years, which was all I wanted out of it. I wanted to, you know, bridge a gap to social security and more semi-retirement gigs. Um, we talked during the length of, during that last run of two and a half years, uh, when I did my second deal about possibly, you know, working 26 weeks a year and having Matt Spiegel as part of the show. I was more than happy to concede some of my salary and my mic time to, to Matt and Danny. Call it Parkins, McNeil, and Spiegel. I don't need my name on the masthead. I've been at this for a long time. But ultimately, they wouldn't go for it. And because of what happened last September with me trying to go for that quick laugh, I got my ass whacked. But uh, I gave it a shot because I don't know what else to do. And I knew it was a long shot. And I don't regret it. I, I don't regret any of it. It, it, was, it was an interesting experience. And I am, I am delighted that two of my radio sons, Danny Parkins and Matt Spiegel, and, and it makes me feel good. They're the two guys who occupy afternoons at the score. I can live with that. Listen up, OEMs. First impressions are lasting ones. Dynamic Manufacturing's impressive complex in Hillside, Illinois, includes nearly a million square feet of operating space. I had a chance to view some of it, and I was overwhelmed by the organization, technology, and dedicated workforce. Dynamic Manufacturing provides solutions for engineering, manufacturing, machining, and logistics, and they can re-energize your electric and energy storage systems. They can machine any project, no matter the size. And when it comes to motorsports, they're your trusted partner for chasing podiums with their custom torque converters. Dynamic Manufacturing is your one-stop for all your remanufacturing needs, and they can't wait to engineer a custom solution for getting maximum value from experienced parts. Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do. Your battle with drugs and depression have been well documented. Tell me a story I don't know, Dan, about how this may have manifested from years dealing with your mother. Yeah, I, uh, 
I'm a suicide survivor. When I was 18, my mother took her own life on her second attempt. I knew I was different in fifth grade as, as you know, young as a 10 year old. Um, I woke up one morning and I remember it so vividly. It was a Thursday morning in the spring of 71. And it was the first nice day of the spring. And I felt paralyzed and I didn't want to go to school. And I told my parents, I'm not going to school today. I didn't tell them I'm sick. I said, I'm not going to school today. Oh, why? You sick? Yeah, but I couldn't really define what was, what was ailing me. What I wanted was my door locked and my 45 collection, my baseball cards and total isolation. And I knew that wasn't right because physically I felt fine, except for this almost paralyzing need to not participate today. I don't want to be consumed by other humans today. Thank you. I'm not mad. I'm not drunk. I'm 11. I'm just low. That's, that's physiological. That's brain chemistry. That's not imagined. And fortunately, people have become smarter to what mental illness is. And fact is, I have a brain chemistry deficiency. Fortunately, I finally started treating it about 20 years ago. But I inherited this from my mother, along with my, you know, uh, predisposed condition to be an addict. Um, I've loved weed since I was a teenager. And unfortunately, that graduated to a lot more dangerous substances. I had an unhealthy relationship with Coke in the late 90s. I was trying to numb the pain of my middle son's autism. And uh, in 99, it was my way of coping with what the score did. And I would do a show that made me sad with Dan Jiggets. And on a Tuesday night, I'd wind up in a saloon in Hammond until 4 a.m. snorting blow. Um, then it became pain meds after I had my spine fused in, in 07. And I'd had a very platonic relationship with opioids up to that point. Never really found them to be magical, but uh, after the fusion, I discovered the little 10 milligram Norco, the little yellow birds, as I called them. Well, that was something different than anything I'd experienced before. And that was, that was a high that, that really drew me in and as needed on the bottle didn't apply to me. And I wrestled for the next six or seven years with, with that as my primary addiction. And, uh, and my bottom isn't as bad as some others. Um, my, but you know, a bottom's a bottom. Mine, mine is want to be alone. Mine is, my bottom is not wanting to be in touch with anybody other than my kids and my wife to go away and hide and not give back. When what truly makes me happy is being a part of a fraternity and a community, whether it's with my, my high school pals or my radio fraternity, my fantasy football league, 
my audience. I like that. I thrive on that. But when I was in the throes of that, that opioid addiction, I wanted nothing to do with that. I was rejecting what made me happy for what numbed pain. And, uh, and it's, it's a sad place to be. Fortunately, and never with me, flirted with thoughts of suicide. Um, I get asked that a lot. The, the you know, metrics do support uh, that I would be a candidate for it. Sons and daughters of parents who kill themselves are more likely to kill themselves. But that's not an option for me. And uh, I have a 28-year-old a son <laughs> who's like a best buddy, and I will not do to him. He's autistic, my Patrick. Uh, I'm, I'm his best friend. And uh, I, it's just, you know, I don't mean to make light of it, but I just, I, I shrug with, with a smirk the idea of, of me being suicidal. And I know I shouldn't because of my, my histories. Uh, I'm rambling here, George, this topic tends to do that to me because it exhausts me and uh, it's something hard to deal with, but I'm happy today more than I'm sad. I, uh, I have treated my depression with, with chemicals and talk therapy. Um, those chemicals being mood stabilizing drugs. It's a very mild mood stabilizer called Lamotrigine. And, um, and I don't use opioids and I haven't, I haven't danced with the devil that is cocaine, knock on wood in many, many years. And because I'm, uh, I'm a little bit of a, uh, a, a wimp. I, I don't like alcohol that much because I, I don't like to be hung over the next day. So I will smoke my weed and enjoy a diet Pepsi and be grateful for every day I have. As we tape this in August, Suicide Prevention Week takes place in early September, and it's obviously it's a very significant date for you. Yeah, it is, and because you know you don't understand it to be as, as capable of affecting you as deeply as it will when it when it's going on, but when when your mom isn't available, as my mom was not throughout my life my first memory of that being at the age of five, when she first was institutionalized. Um, what came with her suicide was, and I didn't know it consciously, it took me more than 20 years and a good five or six years of hard therapy to recognize that she, um, she helped me to not trust the female gender. I thought that uh, women will ultimately leave me. I can't count on women because my mom wasn't available and my older sister was not available. She was a troubled kid. And uh, you start to think, I don't have anything to offer females. I'm a guy's guy. It was easy for me to think that relatively early in life. I didn't know I was thinking that. I was that I would would actually wind up exhibiting behaviors that that lead you to that thing. But uh, yeah, it'll uh, it'll fuck you up, and it's it's something that I wish I would have sought therapy for it at the time more than I did. Um, 
I only a couple of times talked to a counselor about my mom's suicide, and I, I would have been smart to do it way more than that. Ever been to the Polina Market? If not, what are you waiting for? It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meats and much more since 1949. Their steaks are top of the line, but there's also chicken, fish, and those mouth-watering sausages. And you might spend hours just perusing their frozen food section, all made fresh. And now, the expanded Polina Market offers beer, wine, and sandwiches. It's become a one-stop shop, making your in-store experience well worth your time. And you can still order online. I've been shopping here since 1984. Polina Market is simply the best and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at polinamarket.com. No one, I mean no one, does hot dogs better than Vienna Beef. That's because they've been doing them since 1893. Imagine biting into a delicious all-beef Vienna hot dog, dragged through the garden which includes yellow mustard onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and celery salt, and just try that on one of their Polish sausages. Vienna products are available everywhere, from your supermarkets, restaurants, the ballparks, and zoos, just to mention a few, and you can purchase them online at ViennaBeef.com. And look for their farm acres chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. You actually have three sons, but we just mentioned one of them, Patrick, who is autistic. Tell me a story I don't know, the challenges of taking care of an autistic child. I think the worst day I had as the parent of an autistic boy, probably he was four years old and it was an early evening and uh, his oldest brother, his older brother, Van was, uh, was doing his homework at the kitchen table and Patrick was trying to communicate to me what he wanted from the freezer. Verbal skills are very difficult for him. He's much better many years later, but he didn't possess the wiring where it was easy to put thought to speech. He has problem-solving intelligence, and he always has, but speech was very difficult, and he was trying to get something from the freezer, an ice cream cup, and I don't know if it was the flavor that didn't agree with him or if he wanted to communicate, I'd rather have this, whatever, but he, he obviously was not getting what he wanted by pointing and looking at items in the freezer. And he began to bang his head on a hard ceramic tile floor. And I looked at his brother who slumped in his chair and began to sob. And I tried to comfort this hysterical three and a half, four-year-old boy who couldn't make speech. All he wanted to do was tell me what he needed that wasn't there. And he couldn't. And I've never felt a helplessness that just just completely bankrupts my soul and and hurts like that. Um, on the other end is is how happy he is today. He has he has made marked progress, both both verbally 
and with he still has some terrible stim stimulating disorders and he'll never live on his own but he is a very very happy young man and uh and i'm grateful for that he's given me perspective i otherwise never would have found it's remarkable when i listen to you dan you have had one hell of a challenging life i've made a lot of my own messes george and and maybe that's something that that comes with having a lot dumped in your lap early. You, you see your father who you admire having to deal with all that chaos and you see how he reacts both sometimes positively, sometimes negatively, but there's always crisis. Seems like some of us had that, that penchant for being near a disaster, you know, because we know one's always coming. You know, hey, things have been good for a few months. I think I'll walk outside today and look up because I know there's a piano coming to, to land on my head. And if there isn't one, I'll make one. Because <laughs> all I know is resolving and is resolving chaos and uh, the threat of somebody leaving. Um, it's uh, It's been a challenge, but I, I blame myself for a very high percentage. I point the thumb and I know I probably sounded in some of this, like I'm pointing the finger at my mom, it wasn't her fault. A lot of it. I mean, that's, that stuff is inherent with her too. It's in her brain. It was in her brain, just like it, it is with anybody who's mentally ill. So here you are, you admit to being overweight. You don't exercise a whole lot. I suspect, as you mentioned, uh, you might have a cold one or two. You do smoke the peace pipe. It's not exactly what one would call a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> well, uh, those of us who are uh, in the club often deploy something we like to call damage reduction. Um, I don't. I don't drink a lot. Yeah, I, I, I'm not as as active as I should be. I should exercise and I should be more active. And uh, but uh, I like my weed and. Um, I don't know if that'll ever change. I suppose if I'm told, hey, you got a spot on your lung, you better you better quit smoking. No, then I would. But I, I guess maybe, unfortunately, it would take something like that for me to quit. Because, you know, I'll bastardize a Mark Twain quote. If there is no ganja in heaven, I shall not go. I, uh, I like my <laughs> weed, man. And, um, and I, you know, I... I'm 20 pounds overweight. Okay. I'm not Chris Farley. Like I was in 96, man. Yeah. But didn't you back then you and Terry both go on this dramatic exercise diet plan? Yeah. I quit smoking and lost 72 pounds in nine Oh my months. gosh. Yeah, I know. You know why? Cause I'm an addict. I just switched addictions. <laughs> I, I, I gave up the Marlboro lights and started eating raw broccoli and swordfish steak and spending 12, 15 hours a week, Monday through Friday, lifting weights. I was, I was an exercise demon in 97, 98, 99, and 2000. And then I moved on to something else, getting fat again, because... <laughs> It's always, it's always changing, and sometimes it goes back to where it was. You are an avid fisherman. Uh, matter of fact, I would say you absolutely love the sport. What got you into it, and what is it that is so alluring? 
I love being outside. I love nature. Uh, man, my dad used to take me fishing. Um, and maybe that is where it started, the association of spending quality time with my dad. He probably would have just as soon gone with the next door neighbor, his fishing pal, uh, Walt Wyatt. But uh, he wound up taking his little chubby kid and I loved it. And I would get up as early as they were getting up and going to the bait store to, you know, grab a bucket of minnow. It was all very exciting to me. I just, I just enjoyed it. I, you know, how do you explain? I don't know. Why, why does one like classical music? Why does one play tennis instead of golf? It's just something that, that I took to early on and have for large chunks of my life stayed with it. There was only, there've only been a few occasions where I didn't pick up a fishing rod over more than a couple of years stretches. And my, my sons, two of my three sons love it. So that I've passed that on uh, from my dad to them is, uh, is a fishing mitzvah. And um, I, I love it. I, I, I love the people who partake in it. I love being on the water. It just, it soothes me. And there are very few things I can do competitively these days. Musky fishing remains one of them, although my my stamina for that is not what it was when I started 10 years ago either. But I love it. I just and I will continue to do it as long as they let me. You know, I'm surprised you never tried to sell someone on a fishing show. Heck, you and Dan Bernstein, he could be your co-host. You guys rent a small yacht and pardon the pun, have a whale of a time. <laughs> Harry Tynowitz, leave you that cocktail map? <laughs> no. I actually did a, a fishing show very briefly when the score started. Um, I bought the six o'clock hour, our first few springs on Sunday mornings and, and sold it myself, fishing Chicagoland. Uh, but uh, you know what I learned right away? This is work. I want fishing to be a plaything. I don't want to feel stressed over a production schedule for a TV shoot for, for fishing. I, you know, I, it just, and there's so many guys who are really good, who are doing those shows. Um, man, while it might've been fun, um, I didn't want it to become like work because I already had seen sports slip and slip further and further and further from, from being a passion because it was what I did for work. I didn't want that to happen with fishing. I would be remiss if, if I didn't ask you if you have a title for the book and the podcast and when do we expect to read and hear it? You will be able to get it on pre-order by November 15th. I would think that's the absolute latest does it have a title? I'm, I'm leaning towards Stir It Up, Little Darling, because that's what I did. Very simple. All, all monosyllabic. Everyone knows what everything means. No, And it also keeps Bob Marley um, <laughs> on the board. How about No Sco, No Mo? Um, <laughs> how, how about the podcast? I'll be doing some podcasting. Um, to, you know, announcements forthcoming. Uh, don't have a title for it yet, but uh, yeah, we'll see what we're going to do with that. But uh, all just, you know, club shows, because that's where we're at in this era of sports media, club shows. And uh, 
Uh, hopefully, yeah, the book will be done by the end of the year. Should be you should, people should be reading it by the end of the year. If for some reason someone at WMVP or the Score knocked on your door and said, "Dan, we'd like you to come back," would you? Well, they wouldn't, first of all, but that's not the game we're playing. No, unless it were for something extremely part-time and peripheral. No, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to show again. Would I work as a fill-in if they asked? Sure. Would I do Bears programming if they asked? Sure. Would I do imaging and become big voice? Yeah, I'd do that. But as long as, as Rachel Williamson is a part of it, that won't happen. And uh, and I, I don't care. I, I don't I don't need that. I did it a long time, and I feel pretty good about the skins I put on the wall. So no, I, I think that that part of my life is a closed chapter, and and I'm at peace with that. I ask this final question to all of my guests: If not for the radio business, Dan McNeil, what would you have been? I would have taught high school English and coached the football team. Um, I enjoyed my teachers and coaches. I, I got a lot from my teachers and coaches. They were mothers and fathers to me, some of them, when, when my mom and dad were unavailable. And I gained an enormous amount of confidence writing for my high school newspaper and Barbara Mayer, who passed away last fall at the age of 84, was still somebody in my life who was very important. And my high school football coach, Dave Shelbourne and Al Holock, um, those guys, they gave me confidence. And, and I, I would have taught English and I would have been a pretty decent teacher, I'd like to think. And I would have coached the little offensive and defensive linemen. Didn't need to be the head coach. Um, just teach angle and slant to those nose guards and uh, recognize what the fire art rules are for offensive linemen. That would have been fine with me. Coach a little football, coach a little baseball. And uh, that's what I would have done. Thank you, Dan McNeil, for telling me a story I don't know. My pleasure, George. Thank you. My thanks to WSCR, Kevin Matthews, and WDRV, The Drive, for those important and memorable highlights. And as always, a big thank you to T.J. Rees for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his fine mixing and editing, and T.T. Shinkin for her great graphics. And to our generous sponsors, Dynamic Manufacturing, the premier automotive remanufacturing company where there is nothing they can't do. And by Rawl Jewelers, top jewelers in the northwest suburbs. Walk in as a customer leave as a friend, and the Polina Market, top purveyors of the finest meats and much more, and the Vienna Beef Company, home to the famous Chicago hot dog since 1893. Tune in next week for another fascinating episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote.